Well, good morning, guys. Hope you had a good night's sleep or a short night's sleep. Or It's great to see you here this morning. I'm going to open your Bibles to Psalm 1. It is December the 1st. So we start a rotation, I do, of Psalms over again and... It's hard to believe, but we have one final message in the book of Philippians coming this Sunday, which is Paul's final greetings there, and um, then we're going to be in uh, in the Psalms for uh, for Christmas, the Psalms of Christmas. We'll be doing that through uh, through the end of the year. I think there's three that we'll be looking at, and then in January, typically kick the year off with a uh, with a year kickoff message, and then we'll be in, uh, in our new book, which I still have not uh, finalized uh, yet, working on a couple of them and just trying to discern what the Lord would, uh, would have me to, to do. But um, Psalm 1 is, uh, is one that you probably know very well, and there's no mistake that, it's, that it is the very first one in the Psalter. It kind of kicks off two paths of, of life. Um, if you would want to memorize uh, a, a psalm, this would surely be in the in the top ten. So we'll read it like we normally do, then we'll pray, and then we'll get in our lesson uh, this morning. We have today and next Tuesday, and then our Grace and Granite semester for this year uh, ends. And so we're going to be wrapping up uh, our messages today on maxing out our service for the church today and then, uh, then next week. And... We'll send you an email next week about uh, uh, some things that uh, we'll, we'll do to, to wrap up the wrap up the service. So let's uh, let's look at Psalm one. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law. Of the Lord, notice this progression. Does not walk in the counsel, follow after the walk in the ways of. You hear, you know, we don't walk by we walk by faith and not by sight. So this idea of living your life according to the counsel of the wicked. Then they're standing in the path of sinners, and then sitting in the seat of scoffers. There's a Progression there: the wicked, the sinners, the the scoffers. Even Proverbs talks about there's multiple kinds of fools in the Bible. There are those who are ignorant, um, still foolish, still still judged, and then it progresses all the way to the scoffers. There's the wicked that are doing wrong things. Um, they're foolish. They reject God. But the scoffer is one who who mocks. Um, and Peter talks about mockers, scoffers coming at the coming at the end. We don't want to govern our lives or pattern our lives after, after any of them. Notice the contrast in verse 2. But, we don't do this, but we do this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law He meditates day and night. It's a, something continually. Uh, he continually places before His eyes. It's in His mind. He, he chews on it. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we just acknowledge that you are great, that we are weak and frail. I am weak and frail and I am so thankful for the empowerment of your spirit. We're talking about your gifts being used in the church. I thank you, Lord, for these men who have come out this morning. What better way to start the day than with men of God people that seek you uh, in your word, 
and I know there's a full day ahead of us, and we've just read in a psalm about governing our lives in two different ways, two different paths, following uh, the, the ways of people, the counsel of, of people, or following your ways, and, um, and then the results in our lives of, of both of those. We, we want to be those who follow after the way of righteousness. Would you help us to do that? Would you use even something that we, we learn about today, we listen to, we watch, we read, iron sharpens iron, use every man in here this morning to encourage one another, and may you be pleased um, whenever we're done. We love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you loved us first. If you had not done that, Lord, we would have never come to you. Um, we are, we are lost without you. So we, we praise you and we give uh, honor to the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We are going to be on page uh, 146 uh, this morning. And like we normally do, we're going, to watch, uh, we're going to watch a video. This is, I think it's three or four minutes. I'm not sure exactly how, four minutes, thank you, how long it is. It's a Q&A. Uh, that was done, um, I believe, at uh, uh, a Ligonier conference years ago. Um, and uh, MacArthur and the late Dr. Sproul uh, is there. And uh, you'll notice even when, when we get, they get to the, him answering the, the question that was asked, uh, it's toward the latter years of his life. He's, he's on oxygen and uh, he's there. I can remember the very first time that I ever heard Dr. Sproul preach. It was at a Shepherds Conference. Wow, I don't know, maybe 18 years ago, something like that. And um, John had asked him to do his seminary lecture on justification by faith alone. And I heard Dr. Sproul, I'd heard about Sproul before, but I'd never heard him speak, and I'm thinking seminary lecture. Uh, and I'm thinking, ah, I came to the Shepherds Conference to hear good preaching, you know, and it just absolutely rocked my world. And I still have a copy of the message. I still give it out in the internship because what he does is he lays out the, the doctrine of justification from Roman Catholicism, and then he gives the biblical uh, view of justification by faith alone. And he, he lays those two together, and it really is like, you know, uh, a diamond on, you know, laid beside a lump of coal, I mean, or black velvet. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. Brilliant man, and he is at his reward. But they're talking about the church. What's wrong with the, the church? And we'll tie that into our lesson after we watch it. Both of you have seen ebbs and flows within the American Christian church, and even in the church as it expands around the world. And a question comes from one of our attendees as asking if you could comment on what you see as the largest problem in the American church, uh, so geographically located here in America. What do you think is one of the biggest problems facing us in the American church? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think it's clearly a lack of biblical knowledge, a lack of biblical discernment. Um, the church basically suffers from spiritual AIDS. It could die of a thousand heresies because its immune system is so totally deficient um, that there's an inadequate understanding of the nature of God, an inadequate understanding of the nature of Christ. You have, for example, a classic illustration of that, um, one of the politicians standing alongside the, the clerk in Kentucky and holding her up as a Christian, and she's a denier, an overt denier of the Trinity. Uh, I, I think starting with God, starting with Christ, starting with the authority of Scripture, um, basically Christianity suffers, as I said, from the lack of discernment, spiritual aids, and, and, and it, can, it can die from a thousand heretical diseases. So the proclamation of the truth, the clarity with which the truth is proclaimed, the precision with which the truth is proclaimed and supported uh, at, at every level. This has been the hallmark of this man's ministry, uh, to, to proclaim the truth and to support the truth through, screeze, to, through Scripture and reason 
this is the greatest need of the church. And, and you all who are sitting out here, most all of you have come out of that sort of bl- bland, vanilla kind of undefined Christianity. And once you began to see the truth with precision, you just locked onto it. And it is, it's the most precious thing that you have. That, that is the great need in the church today, that kind of precision. And it's not going to come to the church until it comes to the leadership of the church. Uh, because like people, like priests, as Hosea said, they're not going to rise any higher than their leadership. The question was to both of you, Dr. Sproul. <clears throat> I don't see how I could add anything significant to what John's already said. We live in the same environment, and we face the same problems uh, uh, every day. Forty-some uh, years ago, somebody asked me what I thought was the biggest problem in the church today, and I said I think that the biggest problem in the church today is that we don't know who God is. And uh, that flows over into every other dimension. When I used to teach uh, systematic theology in the seminary, and I would teach the doctrine of God, I would always begin by saying to our students that if you look at the various denominations historically, even Rome has basically a, a, a unanimous view of the nature and character of God, we all affirm that he's immutable, eternal, and omnipotent, and omniscient, and all of that. And there's very little difference, anything, nothing particularly unique about the Reformation and Reformed doctrine of God. And I said, and yet at the same time, paradoxically, if you would say what is most distinctive about Reformed theology, it's our doctrine of God. And they said, well, how can that be when we say we agree with everybody else? And I said, because when you turn to page two of systematic theology, we haven't forgot what we said on page one about the character and nature of God, where most other uh, denominations forget whatever they've affirmed about the nature of God as soon as they go on to the nature of man and nature of Christ and, and all the rest. It's a Trinitarian uh, gospel, and what we are defending is not simply a, a niche of Reformed theology, but we're dealing with classical Orthodox Christianity. That's what's at stake here. Sorry for the little pop-up there of a guy eating tacos. I don't know who that, uh, who that was. Uh, have you ever heard that analogy before? Church is, is uh, suffering spiritual AIDS. You understand that it's when someone has HIV... It's not that that kills them. It's, it's they have no immune system, so anything can, can come in and, and kill them. And I heard John use that illustration years ago. Um, we have forgotten so much doctrine within the Christian church, we don't even know what to go back and recover. Like if, if we would say, uh, you know, okay, we want to go back and recover the fundamentals of the faith, you know, we would have a hard time even defining what the fundamentals of the, uh, of the faith you know, are. And, and we're talking about uh, the strength of the church through using your spiritual gift. And you, in particular, um, uh, building that spiritual strength in a, in a local congregation. And so we're talking about the giftings that God gives the body and maxing out our, uh, our usefulness in the body to... In order to in order to produce a, a strong uh, local church, we can't do anything about the evangelical church or the church at large, but we can do something about this local church. And then the Lord used this local church to to to, to change and transform um, you know Christianity in in whatever way He so chooses. And and you can do something about your individual faithfulness, which is exactly what we're talking about on page. Uh, 140, 146 this morning, maxing out our service for the, uh, for the church. And um, the purpose of this, this study in particular is to develop a rich and practical appreciation of the Apostle Paul's teaching in Romans 12 on the unique combination uh, of gifts that each individual believer is granted by grace. Each believer has a different measure of faith for a unique functioning in the church. It's most encouraging when we see someone maxing out his unique giftedness for the, for the edification of the body, and it goes on week after month after year after decade after multiple decades. And you will not 
continue uh, Sunday after week after month after year unless there is some doctrinal steel in your in, in your life. Um, you're just going to be just going to be flooding everywhere. Um, nothing wrong with emotions. Emotions are wonderful. God gave us emotions, but if those emotions are not raised through through the the affections of the heart that come through the mind, understanding God, understand who God is, what He did for me, and then I respond to that in my emotions. And if those emotions are not channeled with truth, then then we're just going to be like a flood moving everywhere rather than a deep channel. You've seen water uh, it has a devastating effect if it floods everywhere. You've also seen the power of water if it's channeled and it's, it's, it's moved. You want to channel uh, not only your, 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 your emotions, but you want to channel those spiritual gifts within, with, within a church and doing that week after week after, after week, layer after layer. And, and a mature church comes from this uh, this process. So we're talking about uh, squandering our giftedness, how that dishonors the Lord. That's what we looked at last time, why you must give yourself to the church and to serve to serve Christ. So last time we looked at hindrances. Today we're going to look at helps. What were some hindrances of maximal service? And if I would summarize this, these two, wickedness and laziness, I would say... Um, you don't want to let patterned sin take hold in your life. Uh, I'm a sinner like you are, and so you have the flesh. Uh, your flesh is no better today than the day you were saved. And if you live another 50 years as a, as a believer, your flesh will not be any better 50 years from now than it is today. You will always battle the flesh. Don't think because you get married, uh, lust will go away. Uh, don't think that whenever you become an old man, lust will go away. You can be 80 years old and in a nursing home and still be tempted to look at the backside of the nurse when she walks out of the room because that's your flesh. You live in unredeemed flesh, and that will not be removed until you see Christ, right? There's the penalty of sin dealt with at the cross instantly. All of your sins washed away, forgiven, cast as far as east is from west then progressively the power of sin, so penalty at salvation, power of sin is overcome progressively in your life, and then the very presence of sin will be removed whenever you're, you're called into to heaven. We're talking about the battle is between the penalty being removed and then the very presence being removed. So salvation to glorification. This is where we live in the middle. And this is progressive sanctification. And so you have... You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. So you're not some spiritual schizophrenic where you've got the black dog and the white dog in there fighting, as you've probably you know, maybe heard it sometimes. You, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You, you, have a, you have the mind of Christ. You have spiritual abilities now that you didn't have before. But that new man is still encased in unredeemed flesh. And you live in a fallen world. So temptation is there. Sin is there. It's going to come. You're going to fall to sin, and so you're a confessing people. We're a repenting people. That's what First John says. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. It's and it's in the it's in the um, uh, the the present tense. So we're a confessing people. We're confessing our sins. That's what we do on a, on a daily basis. Christians, frankly, are the only ones, according to Scripture, that are actually honest about their sin. They're not sinless. They're, we're just the only ones that acknowledge we do have sin and go to the source in order to be forgiven. So you're going to battle your flesh. What will keep you, though, what will keep God from using you and you to be able to max out your service in the church is if, if, that, if that sin becomes patterned in your life, if you don't deal with that sin, if you don't use the other brothers in the body, if you don't use the pulpit, if you don't use... The, the discipling arms of the church, if you don't use the, the confrontation, if you don't allow God to use the gifting of others in your life, then that pattern sin is going to be there. You, you're going to be fighting you know, with one arm tied behind your back, sometimes two arms behind your back. You need other believers and you need their gifts. 
And what will keep you from being useful to them and to Christ in the body is if sin becomes patterned if you, in, in your life. So we talked about you're going to have temptation, you're going to sin, you don't want patterned sin because then it turns to fruitlessness and you don't want to be fruitless. I think one of the saddest things that I experience, I've done this at least three times, maybe more. I was saved in a church um, in West Virginia, maybe 150, 200 people. Uh, you know, 200 people would be like Easter Sunday service. Just loved Christ. Great folks. Not a lot of doctrine. Uh, probably churches like you were, you were saved in. I was saved there, so God obviously was there. God was working. Um, and then, in, a, in, in so one sense, I praise God for the gospel being proclaimed. In another sense, it, I was left to struggle in my sanctification because there's not a lot of, of, of anything after that. Every sermon, get saved, get saved, confess sin. Um, you know, so uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of flash, you know, not a lot of, of depth and, and substance. And I left there, and uh, after being there five or six years, so around 30 years of age, I moved to Lynchburg, and I'm gone. Well, during the time that I'm gone, I'm in seminary, I'm growing, and, and I go back. So now three years, you know, three years, four years pass. And there are people that are, that are there in the church that were there whenever, whenever I left. And I go back and the church is not any different than whenever I left. Okay. Fast forward another five years, so like eight years. Fast forward another five years and you're around 13, 15. I go back 10 years, 15 years later, and the exact same people are there. And that's encouraging. Praise God. These, these are believers that they're still there in the church. But then when I begin to talk to them, I realize they're absolutely no different than whenever I left. They've not grown at all in their faith. They're still the, the, the same. They're still struggling with the same issue. Now, I don't mean they're still sinning. I mean, there's no growth whatsoever in their life. There, there's been a hindrance. And and me being gone, I'm able to see that in a, you know, in, a, in a way. You do not want to get so myopic about growth in your life that, you know, what you know, big gigantic thing has God done in my life last week? You know. But you do want to look at your life as a whole. Okay, so, so take a bigger chunk than a week, maybe a month, maybe three months, maybe six months. Maybe you look at 2020 and you say, what has God done in my life? How have I grown? How have I, have I chipped away at the patterns of sin? How has God used me? Uh, and, and if you see no growth in bigger periods like that, then you have a spiritual problem. You need to humble yourself and come to somebody and say, I do not see any growth in my life. Now they may say, what are you talking about? I see this and I see this and I see that. And, and they may help you in there. Or they may also say, yeah, you're right, I don't see that. And, you know, let, let's, let's get after it. So we talked about the hindrances there. The wickedness and laziness. Being a man means taking initiative. means working, avoiding laziness. means giving your life for others. It means protecting. It means confronting. So be willing to do that with one another. So what are some helps for maximal service? Are you maxed out? Well, you may feel like you're maxed out in life, but the question we're asking is, are you maxed out in your service for the church? Because that's what's going to last. I mean, we sing the song, will the circle be unbroken? You know, we want our family in heaven. Did you know the only thing that's eternal is the church? Your job's not eternal. Your family's not eternal. I mean, your marriage is not eternal. I mean, we, you hope that your wife goes to heaven. Your wife may hope that you go to heaven, right? Your family, you hope that your family goes to heaven. But the Bible says, will not marry nor be given in marriage in heaven. Marriage specifically is for the earth. Now, you'll know your wife in heaven and she'll be there and she's a believer and, and all that. I'm not trying to belittle marriage or family. But don't get your priorities out of whack. It's not retirement 
that you're living for. It's not even your family that you're living for. You're living for Christ and His body. The church will continue in, in heaven. Are you maxed out in service for the, for the church? So we're called to exercise our gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift and according to the proportion of your faith. So we're looking in, we looked at Ephesians 4 and Romans uh, 12. You will learn, you feel maxed out in, in a lot of ways, but you have a lot more gas pedal that's, that, that's there. Um, and so you need to grow in your, your usefulness. We're called to exercise our gifts according to the measure of Christ's gifts and then according to the proportion of your faith. So Christ has given you a gift. It's a speaking gift or serving gift or a combination of, of both. And then you have a certain ability even within that in order to, to exercise it. Um, if you speak, you're not John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul. Um, and yet, those two men are just men. They were given a gift by Christ. And of course, they battled sin, but they have a certain measure. God chooses to elevate certain people uh, and to use them. It has nothing to do with the man. It has everything to do with, with God. And so, how do we do this? How do we, uh, what are some helps of, to, to maximize our service with, within the church? Well, number one... Press into your sanctification. Somebody turn to, well, everybody turn to 2 Timothy 2. We'll look at verses 20 and, and 21. Here's an analogy. Press into your sanctification. 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 20. You can even look at the last few lines of verse 19. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house, there are not only gold or silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor. It would be like you have common dishes, you have common cups, and then you have the, you know, the fancy ones that you get out whenever company. And then you also have some... Uh, repositories in your home that you don't eat out of, you don't even drink out of. Uh, you use them to clean the floor or, or even worse. You have a little trash can beside your toilet that you put the plunger in after you get done using it. You would not just pick that up and then you know, go use it in some way on, uh, you know, for, for Sunday dinner. This is the idea here. In the house, there are multiple types of vessels uh, some are just by their their exterior. You can tell what they're used for. Um, some for honor, some for dishonorable things. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared. For every good work. Now flee the, uh, from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace in those, with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So press into your sanctification. Nothing special about us. In fact, 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this similar analogy in 2 Corinthians. We're dung pots. And the, the treasure of the gospel is placed inside of us. So there we wouldn't glory in the vessel. We would glory in what we have. Uh, privy pots, um, before there were such things as running water and indoor toilets. You had little uh, repositories, little pots that you went to the bathroom in. That's how God describes us. And uh, that's what we were used for. And then He cleanses us to the point that you could even eat out of one of those things. Why? So the treasure would be the gospel, not, not us. But notice here, it's talking about what, what we do. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness, and we're to flee youthful lust, so we're to pursue, we're to flee this and we're to pursue that, righteousness, faith, love, and, and peace. 
And if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be fit. And so, yeah, God promises to complete the work that he began in you. But you have party. You're party to that sanctification. So you press into your, your sanctification. Cleanses himself of these things. The, the picture is a common pot. And it must be scoured thoroughly in order to be, in order to be used. Um, you probably have in your home. We have, especially with kids, we call it the throw-up bucket. And you have it in your house. And um, you pull it out anytime. Everybody hates to see that. Uh, you come in the house, you've been gone all day, you see the throw-up bucket. Oh, who's got the throw-up virus? Thankfully, nobody does right now. And then after it's done, mom scrubs it, cleans with bleach, and she puts it back in the, in the closet. Um, the idea here is to scour something thoroughly, and you take initiative in that. You actively pursue that. Sanctification is not passive. Okay, The Lord seeks you in salvation. With sanctification, you seek the Lord, and you do that with all of your heart. So one of the ways you maximize your service is to press into sanctification. Take initiative in, in doing that. Um, you don't grow by osmosis. You sit under the Word, and then you practice the Word. And so one of the reasons you may not be maxing out your service or feeling like you're maxed out whenever you're really not is because you're not pressing into sanctification. You say, I don't even know where to start in the, in the church. Here's where you start. You flee youthful lust, and you pursue righteousness, faith, and, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord. Notice it's a community aspect. Look at number two here. You rejoice in God's sovereignty over the gifting of, of the body. Rejoice in God's sovereignty over the gifting of the body. It's okay if God chooses how and if to, to use you. Notice A here, how he explains this. God determines the diversity in the body. We're spiritual relatives, members of one another, interlocked with one another, attached to the head of Christ. But God determines the diversity in the body. God also calls us to function within that diversity. We don't need to be clones. Everyone will not be like us. It's okay if your brother is better than you at something. In fact, that's a very healthy thing. It's also it's also okay that if he's worse in others, others as you. Um, it's one of the reasons for the plurality of an eldership in the Bible. Um, you know, one of the scary things about being the, the primary guy who speaks from the pulpit, you, you hear me speak and you know I labor to say what God says and nothing more. You also, it's also modeled in my life. But the reality is, over a period of time, a church typically will begin to take on the good parts of a pastor and also the bad parts as well. Just like your kids, right? I know you're not my children, but there's this idea of modeling that's there. Well, think about it. You have one guy, and he's got specific giftings, and he's really good at the, the things that the Lord's gifted him to do. He's also got massive weaknesses. There, there are these other areas that are not there, which is why God has designed a plurality of elders in a church. So in our case, we have myself and Jeff, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Larry, and, and each of us have specific giftings. Now, there are certain things we have to have. We have to have a, 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 the character of 1 Timothy 3 that's evident in our lives. We have to be able to teach. But we have even different giftings in, in the ability to handle the Word from a, from a pulpit standpoint. We have differing giftings in administration, in encouragement, in leadership, and those kind of things. And when you blend all of that together, that's a really, really good thing. Um, so... It will keep you from pride. 
uh, it'll also keep you from from multiplying your weaknesses. Now, now look at that not just in an eldership, but look at that in an entire congregation. You have certain giftings that this body needs, and you also have massive weaknesses that somebody else in this body needs to come along and shore up. And if you're not maxing out your gifting, then somebody else is not being corrected or filled up in their weakness. And God's the one who sovereignly distributes those. And I didn't wake up one day and decide to be a pastor. The speaking gifts that are there are spiritually discerned. So um, we don't need to be clones or everyone will be like us. God distributes the gifts as he pleases. I'm not asking you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 because we've already been there. And then God directs. So God determines the diversity of the body. We talked about this before. Every new group of members that come into Timberlake, I see two things. Judgment before the Bema seat and new spiritual gifts. How's the Lord going to use people? Um, we, talk, uh, we, we get historical about churches, which is a good thing. I've emphasized how this is the original pulpit um, that was used in this church 70 plus years ago. It's a wonderful thing. We have a rich heritage teach church history. We talk about the rich heritage from people that have stood by the stuff for, for a long time. But who is Timberlake Baptist Church? It's not the people in that picture right there that they're down the hall of the tent revival where it started. Those people are dead. Timberlake Baptist Church is the living saints that are part of the church today. So what does that mean? That means that the individuals that are members of Timberlake Baptist Church today, God has sovereignly brought to this body and distributed spiritual gifts to them as He has seen fit so this body today can function in this way. I am so thankful for Pastor Jim Alley and Elwood McQuaid and the men who have come, on, uh, come before me. They had specific giftings that, that were, that were uh, blended together in a certain way to meet the needs of Christ church in the day in which they served. But I'm the pastor today along with Jeff and, and, and others. And God has gifted us specifically. And God's gifted you in the body. Um, and so he distributes, he determines the diversity and then he distributes the gifts. So he's, he's made the church up with, with who he chooses and then within the church, he distributes gifts to those people, and then he directs them. You may look back and see how God directed you or diverted you from the broad channel to a narrower or particular area. Um, whenever I came to Christ, it wasn't, I mean, there wasn't any idea that, okay, you're going to be a senior pastor in Lynchburg, Virginia, it was, they called it the call to preach. So God's called you to preach, which just meant you're called into ministry. What kind of ministry? I was a youth pastor and an associate pastor. This is what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to be a senior pastor in a, you know, in a, in a church? Am I supposed to be, what, what am I supposed to be? And I really had no idea. And it really didn't matter to me. I didn't care whether I was a senior pastor, or associate pastor. I didn't care whether I was in a big church. I didn't care if I was in a small church. I didn't care. I just want to use whatever gifts that Christ gave me because I'm not even supposed to be here. I mean, if it was up to me, I would be in a trash heap somewhere. I would, I would just be, I'd be lost continuing what I, was, what I was doing. I mean, the Lord plucked me like a brand from the fire and saved me. And so I just want to just want to be used by him and I don't care where. And I can remember coming to the last year of seminary, the last semester of seminary. And people of course they asked the question, what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't know. I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't know. What what I, what I'm going to Are you going to be a senior pastor or associate pastor? And I'd say, I don't know. Then I started thinking, I didn't really see those things in the, in the New Testament anyway. There's not senior pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor. So how did I become a senior pastor? In that way. 
Lord, it doesn't matter to me. I'll just do whatever you ask me to do. But then I look back and I see how God directed me through providential circumstances. There was a man that I worked with for over two years that I'd never met, I'd never talked to. And I just happened to have to do his job because he was going on vacation, and I rode in a vehicle with him. He asked me what I was doing, and I found out that he was in a, he was in a church, a local church, and uh, he was uh, one of the, the associated with one of the deacons there, and they needed a pulpit supply when they didn't have a pastor. Would you be willing to do that? Well, sure, I'll you know, preach the word where you know wherever. And so, two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, they finally called me, and I went over there and and preached. I preached one Sunday, and um, a second Sunday, which was was Mother's Day. First Sunday that I was there, a thirty-some-year-old lady gave her life to Christ. The second Sunday I was there, a lady got up and ran out of the church. I preached 2 Timothy 2 about the role of women in the church, and she had never heard that before. And I had no idea what was even going on. I wasn't trying to be controversial. I was just reading the text, explaining the text. And um, then the third week, they, they asked me to come and meet with them, and it was a pulpit committee. And they talked to me about being the pastor, and I'm like, well, I'll just come and fill in the pulpit. And I just look back at how providentially God directed me to Cornerstone Baptist Church. Um, I can tell you the story about many of you know about how I ended up here. I wasn't looking to come to Timberlake. And the point I'm making is that God directs you if you will be willing to maximize your service in the body. So get rid of the pattern sin. Press into sanctification. Make yourself available. And then rest in the fact that God has placed you in this body, this one, and that God has given you specific gifts, whatever they are, that this body needs those gifts, and then God will direct you in the specific ministries there. And it may not even be what you're thinking. Um, it can be very specific. And you can look back and see how the Lord directed you or diverted you. You may not have a Macedonian call moment like the Apostle Paul, but it works through providence. From the broad to a narrower or particular area. And you didn't necessarily choose the specific or unique area. You just went forward. And looking back, you see the Lord directed you to the place and the people where your measure of faith would be most effective. Um, And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Any thoughts about that before we get to number three? All right, look at number three. Recognize the interdependence within the body. For the body is not one member, but many. Um, In marriage, you probably recognize this if you are married, or maybe you've recognized it with your parents. Um. The world says opposites attract, right? You know, the husband is typically different from the wife, and the wife's different from the from the husband. Well, the the Bible says that husbands and wives complete one another, but that completing one another, um, I use myself as an example. Tracy is organized, and uh, she, you know, everything is. Just, just got a row and a, and a column, and I'm not that way in particular. I organize my life, govern my life, but I don't enjoy accounting. I don't enjoy um, detail type of stuff like she does. Um, and yet, if she was left to herself, um, we probably wouldn't go anywhere. Uh, or you know, do a lot. If left to me, if we went anywhere and we did anything, we probably wouldn't have half the stuff that we need because she's the one that takes care of all that. We complete one another. Just a very general example. But do you know that's the areas that we typically fight the most about? What is used to complete one another typically becomes what we compete over. And it can happen in in the church. 
what you're good at is typically what you will notice other people lack. And what other people lack is, is, is the very thing, the very reason that you have the gift that, that, that you have. We look at the church through, through our lens of, of gifting. And yet the Bible says diversity is a very good thing. Don't think when you see weaknesses in the church, weaknesses, think I have a gifting more than likely to shore up that weakness. So don't make it a competition, make it a completion. You follow me? And the same thing that will work in your, in your marriage. For we're one body and we're not just one member but, but many. And the body parts have different functions. No part of the body can say, I have no need of you. No single individual is God's unique, comprehensive gift to the body, making others unneeded. We must not wish for some other kind of gifting or function than what we have or begin to imagine that we cannot be useful. The members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. This is a common illustration, but people with speaking gifts tend to get more recognition. And those gifts are viewed, the gifts that are viewed as less prominent are sometimes referred to the people behind the scenes. And they tend to tend to be deemed less honorable when in fact we're commanded to bestow more abundant honor. God, uh, it just means that God makes the less prominent gifts, I mean the ones that are out front, um, indispensable to the church. You can't function without them. Let's say you have a, a, a man that God has gifted greatly with speaking gifts. And along with those speaking gifts, the gift of exhortation. What does that look like in the, in the pulpit? You know, he brings not only the, the light, but the heat. I mean, there is content and there's passion. So you're, you're taught, you understand, and whenever he speaks, he's able to reach in and grab you by the throat of your conscience and you want to do whatever God has said to do. And let's say that there is a man like that. So God has specifically gifted that man in that way, and typically people are going to follow because God's gifted him in that way. And he'll continue to follow if there is, there's the, you know, the, the content and the substance. And so usually guys like that will draw a following and, and the church will balloon up or there'll be a great, a great number of people. And usually... Those guys, if they do not understand what we're talking about here, then the air gets let out of the balloon because there's nobody to do the discipling. There's nobody to do the mercy ministry. There's nobody to administrate. There's nobody to do all these things that are not the, the flash and the bang. And then people come and then they, they drift off. Or worse, um, they become deformed. And they only become like that, you know, that, that guy. Um, it has, the church balloons, but it has no staying power. People don't grow. Sin's not dealt with. Um, may struggle financially because there's nobody giving or otherwise. And so you get the point. Um, it is the gifts that are called less honorable, meaning that they're just not the ones out front. And they're just as necessary in order for the health uh, of the church. Look at the page 148. It's their gifts that cause them to receive more recognition because they're using their gifts to the max. We recognize everyone's usefulness and fruit-bearing in the body. We're all peers in the body, no matter what God has given us um, to do. One of the reasons that we're passionate about training men, um, I mean, really, I'm passionate about training men because of what MacArthur said. If you want the church to be strong, 
It's going to start with the leaders of the church. They need to understand the Bible and doctrine, and they need to understand a biblical ecclesiology and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, the main reason that we're passionate about doing that is because we're commanded to do that in the Bible. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, elders train elders, churches plant churches. We do that within the local church because they need men that are being trained for leadership in the church, whether it's vocational or not, whether they're going to be a pastor on the payroll or whether they're going to be a leader in the church, whatever, they're, whatever God's going to call them to do. They don't just need the doctrinal knowledge, but they also need to see it lived out in the body and what the body gives them. Um, so they need the Greek and the Hebrew and the theology and the church history then they also need to see men model that on Sunday morning in the pulpit and then in Wednesday in the elders' meeting and then in the, the funeral parlor and then in the homes. They, they need to not just have the, you know, the, the medical school, they need to have the residency. But it's even beyond that. It's in the local church. They need Harold Nash, who's not here this morning. They need Jim Warner. They need to see the gifts, the gifts that these men have, and, and all of you, lived out in the body of, of Christ. I learned humility, not from my pastor, even though he was a humble man, but from another brother in, in the local church. Don't think that these men who are being trained for ministry are up here and you're down here. They need you. They need to spend time with you. You need to spend time with them. And the same thing for anybody in the body. Because when it all comes together, we, we learn. Recognize everyone's usefulness and fruit bearing. We're all peers in the body, no matter what God has given us to do. You understand, I've said this before, you know this, it's a great time to say it again. I have absolutely no authority whatsoever over your life. I have none, personally. The only authority that I have, that you have, that anybody has, is God's authority. It's a delegated authority. To the extent that I speak, you speak on behalf of God, but I have no personal authority over your life, neither do, neither do any elders. It, 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 this is the authority. So the idea that you come to leaders in the church to, you know, like a CEO or whatever, I mean, that's just foreign to Scripture. I'm a member of the body. You're a member of the body. You, you bring me under the word. If I get out from under the word, I bring you under the word every single Sunday. This is the only authority. And yet Christ has chosen to mediate his word through elders in a church and through the discipline of the body within the, within the church. Um, and then that church is served through the gifting that's there, multifaceted gifting, and if you're not maxing out your service and using those giftings, then the church is deformed and the church is stunted. And that's a really, really bad thing, obviously, because Christ purchased the church with his blood. I mean, if you ever get um, annoyed with another church member and you think, oh, you know, again, or they're grumbly or whatever else it is, think this thought. If Jesus Christ shed his blood for that person, then surely you can put up with them another Sunday, right? I mean, the church has plenty of issues. Um, and God knows every one of those issues. But as Spurgeon said, you should not be the one that is too quick to point them out. Because you're talking about Christ's bride. I know the weaknesses that my wife has. And believe you me, she knows the weaknesses that I have. And I can point out those weaknesses to her. And she'll receive my rebuke because she knows that I love her. And I've laid my life down for her for a lot of years. But you better not point out my wife's weaknesses and rebuke my wife in that way. Um, the same way with the church. Christ knows the weaknesses that this church has. You know the weaknesses that this church has. Don't be quick to point them out. Be quick to maximize your gifting uh, in, the, in the body. We're all peers, no matter what God has given us to do. Look at number four.
encourage others. Now, we've been talking up to this point. I'm trying to encourage you to maximize your service in the church. But number four says that you should be doing that to others. You should be encouraging others to maximize their uh, gifting. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, think about it this way. You typically read that written to you, and it was written to individuals. You read the Bible individually. But 1 Corinthians 12 was written to a whole church to edify and encourage the church to do what Paul is is saying there. So what's implied here is that you are not the one, uh, if you're not the one with the gifting listed, you ought to encourage the one who does have the gift to get after it. Um, Don't be passive. Encourage the gifts that you see in others. Um, heard a long time ago, you know, don't be sin sniffers, be grace hunters in people's lives. It's really easy to see the, the issues in other people's lives, and some people love to run around and point all of them out. Um, when you look at another believer, think about the grace of God that he's poured out in their life. And the particular grace of the gifting that's there. And there's nothing wrong with with seeing that and even acknowledging that. Uh, One of the things that you teach guys that that are that are that are training is is how to take a compliment. You know, someone comes to you and says, you know, that was that was a really helpful message. You know, pastor. Um, I usually say praise the Lord because you want to defer, but you know you've seen the people that they're like, oh no no, no you know, uh, it's not me, it's all Jesus. You know, it's it's like this this self self deprecating. You say thank you, praise God. I'm glad to be used. You know, a mature person is able to take a compliment and not get lifted up by it, and he's also able to take criticism and not be devastated by it. So. There's nothing wrong with looking at look in the church, see the gifting of others, and encourage your brothers to fan the flames of that of that gifting. Pastor Brody, I did not see Pastor Brody here this morning, so I'll say this. Pastor Brody has encouraged my soul so many times. There have been times whenever I've been discouraged. Pastor Brody has encouraged me in a great way without him even knowing it. And I will tell him at times, I am so thankful for your gift of exhortation, because you have helped me in such a significant way. Tell somebody that. Encourage them in that way. See the gifting that they have, and then encourage them, because you give honor to whom honor is is due. Now, turn that around. Let's say you don't see somebody in the church using their gifting at all. What do you do then? You get close to them and try to figure out what the Lord has is, is used them to do or maybe some of the giftings that, that's there and help build a fire under them to get them into the church. Look, you need to be useful. Let's figure out why this is not happening in your life. Is there some pattern sin that's there? Is it just laziness? Do they not even know? And you just start engaging them and the Lord will begin to show you specifically how, how to use uh, you in their life and then and then them in the life of the church. So encourage others to maximize their, their gifting. Stir people up to, to greater love and to do more for others. You do that, first of all, by just being here. That's what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says. The church is essential long before John MacArthur declared that, long before COVID came along. The church is essential in your life. It's essential because when you gather, you provoke one another to, to love and good works. What will you take away from Grace and Granite this morning? I have no idea. I mean, maybe you needed some, some, you know, some detail here you know, in, in the book. Maybe it will have nothing to do with what I've said this morning. Maybe it will be something that somebody said to you over by the coffee pot or whenever you're leaving. Or maybe it will be something a week from now that you'll remember. But if you weren't here, then you never had an opportunity to come in contact with that. And the Lord wasn't able to grow you. So set, stir people up for greater love.
and to do more for for others. And that starts with, with being here. And when we see someone sitting on the sidelines, we need to ask them why they're, they're tending to do very little and not fulfilling the biblical mandates. I love American individualism and the rugged American spirit. It's amazing. Like If you travel, uh, you get outside of the U.S., you go to other cultures, you begin to see how over decades, sometimes hundreds of years, there are certain aspects about a culture that, that is evident, um, that just kind of marks that, that culture. And, uh, you know, you can see that in Europe, you can see that in America, you can see that wherever. Um, I love the individualism of American culture, but we have way too individualized the church. Um, you need your other brothers and, and sisters. Um, so when you see somebody sitting on the sidelines, we ask them why they're tending to do very little. And we're, we're, we normally don't do that because we don't want to puck our nose into their business or we think that they're an individual. But they're part of the body. And so to the extent that they're not maxing out their service, you're suffering. To the extent that you're not maxing out your service, they're, they're suffering. So we're praying for, for those. Um, so you stir them up, you confront them, and then you, and then you pray. Don't despise the gifts given to others either. Perhaps uh, an exhorter is exercising his gift by faith, and he is blessing the body. Do you have a dislike for his exhortation? So you stifle it? You want the same gifts, so you're jealous? Simply not like the, the fact that he's pointing his finger at you? How are you responding to the gifts of others? We'll, we'll tell you a, a, a lot. Uh, one of the things that I heard whenever I was in seminary is, uh, you know, you've got to dry out whenever you get outside of seminary. It's going to take you two or three years before you get useful in the body again because you're just used to being in the classroom. And one thing in particular is when you're in the classroom, specifically the homiletics lab, all you do is critique sermons. And so you're, you know, you're, you're evaluating. Is the guy doing this? Is he doing that? Does he have a plural noun proposition? How well did he do his intro? How well did he do his exit? You know those, you know those those kinds of of things. Um, typically, that's just pride. Uh, if there's too much of a hangover, that's you know that's that's there. Um, but notice what it says here. How are you responding to the gifts of others? How you're responding to the gifts of others? says a lot more about your own heart than it does, you know, than it does there. Um, I can remember listening to my pastor preach, wanting to do, having a desire to do what he was doing, and then immediately rebuking myself, thinking, wow, what in the world are you talking about? How could you even do that? Who are you? you know, that's the proper attitude, not a critical spirit whenever it comes to using somebody else's... Uh, Somebody else's gifts. Any thoughts about any of that before I close this in prayer? We've got one more lesson. We'll send you an email this week about how we're going to close it out. Yeah, Mark? I was just thinking our, our gifts are given to us not for our self-esteem, but for the edification of God. not about you. Not to build you up, it's to build up the body. Yeah. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have brought us together this morning. Use something that we have said or someone has said to us today um, to help us maximize our service within the body of Christ. For on the sidelines, Lord, uh, provoke us to get involved. 
and use the gift that you have given us that your bride might might be a holy, pure, beautiful vessel for the gospel of Christ to a lost world. And um, thank you for saving us and then using us in this way. Bless these men as they go their ways in their work. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, By the way, uh, we went to... I think we got another pot of coffee over here if you want to grab one before you left. Uh, We went to McDonald's this morning, and uh, they whiffed on us. Uh, They know that we were coming, but they didn't have any of the carriers, so that's why there wasn't any coffee. So Matt is running, trying to brew coffee, and uh, he got a second batch over there uh, there for you. You can grab one before you leave.